We're in a series called Stand Up Straight, uh, Developing Healthy Postures for Life. I, I heard a pastor talking about how, how hard it is to find spiritual practices that you can maintain as a habit in this season because our world just keeps on changing. And I've heard from many Christians who are good at, at having rhythms of life, and then the pandemic hit, and all of their rhythms changed, right? Like, all of a sudden, their work schedule changed. Their, their you know, church schedules changed. Life changed. We went online for everything. And, and, then, and then we kind of eased way, our way back, but every, nothing, nothing settled to even close to what it was like pre-pandemic, right? We don't know if that will ever happen in a way, right? We just don't know what 2022 will bring. Some people think it will bring life back to normal. Some people think it won't bring life back to normal. I suspect it will be something in between. And maybe, and then there will have, and at some level, there will be a new normal, right? Some things will always be changed. And, and when we're living in a world that's chaotic and it's changed, it's hard to know what to do next. Actually, I approach, as I approach the new year, I'm usually approaching it with a sense of vision and revisioning the church and this confidence, like, I'm going to lead us to church. This is what we're going to do. And I faced, but I realized after 2021 and going into 2022, that is not where I'm at. just had to admit, like, I, I'm not sure if, and I, even if I was there, I think everybody, I don't know who would actually be like, yes, Will, we're going to follow you because we're tired. We're, 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 we're weary. We're not so trusting. We're not so quick to say, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. And so I even, even in realizing that, hey, we need to develop some healthy rhythms of our life, I realized before we can talk about healthy rhythms, we just have to talk about a healthy posture to face life. What is the, what is the way God wants us to face life so that no matter what happens in the world around us, we can adapt? Like what gives us that adaptability to, to be healthy in a changing world? What gives us a, of that posture that I can, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to have a certain kind of confidence in a world that is uncertain and is hurting me sometimes and is making me anxious? But I can have confidence. I can stand up straight. That's why I call it that. I can have uh, and face the world with certain postures that give me that confidence. Last week we talked about the posture, posture being like a, a particular way of dealing uh, with life or considering something. Um, and last week we talked about the posture of worship. That no matter what happens in life, maybe the most important way to face it is to know that I am a human being. I am a finite, imperfect human being. And there is a God who out there who is God and He loves me. And He calls me into relationship with Himself. And He's going to always be God and I'm always going to be a finite human being. And I always have this opportunity to know that He is glorious and He is good and He has a plan and He's going to work good in my life and I'm never going to fully know all of that. But I can stand up and know that when I say what is the most worthy way to live my life, the most worthy way to live my life is to recognize that God is worthy to be served. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be obeyed. He is worthy to be followed. I will give my worship to something. And most of the time, 
what we do is we try to deny that we are finite human beings and we try to worship our own glory and our own desires and serve ourselves or serve someone else or serve an idea or a cause. And none of those things are worthy of our service and our praise. God is the alone worthy. You want and today I want to talk as we kind of today I want to talk about the posture of rest. This might actually be the most important thing facing our church after worship. We need to keep learning how to be a people of worship. I think that's something we maybe as a church in many ways have done well at in 2021 is maintaining our worship of God in the midst of this unchanging world. But I think for most of us, we're feeling pretty weary. And I'm going to give a sermon today on rest, but it's just one sermon, so we're not going to cover all the depths of this. I'm actually proposing that we pray about it. Maybe we spend a month or two just talking about that as a church and learning how to do that well sometime early in this year. Today I want to introduce this idea of rest. How can we have a posture that no matter what happens, no matter how much the world pressures us and gives us things to do, that I could be rested? Not just a, like a day of leisure or a day of rest or going on vacation or, have, or having you know, more entertainment in my life, but how do I approach it that, that I actually approach seven days a week from a new, pers- new place of feeling at peace and not just over-spiritualizing that like, yes, Jesus, you are my peace, and then, but then I get back to me feeling anxious. and How do I, how do I learn a rhythm, a lifestyle? where I approach all of life rested. Because you know you are only at your best when you are rested, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. Right? You know what it's like. All of us know what it's like to physically be tired. And then what are you're obviously more grumpy and you're less likely to love people. You're more likely to be angry. You're more likely to be anxious. Right? And all of that translates to our spiritual life, our souls, you cannot be your best self without being rested. And, and the beautiful thing is, God wants you to find rest. It's one of the largest themes of the Bible. You know, the first day of human existence, guess what it was? It was a day of rest. It was a day of rest. God created you know, the heavens and the earth, created everything in it. On the sixth day, He created Adam and Eve, and guess what the seventh day was? It was a day of rest. God didn't even tell them what to do until they had a day of rest. And God wants us to live life with rest being the starting place, not just the ending place when you're just exhausted and have nothing left. I'm going to look, so I want to look today at that theme. We're going to start our, our, our uh, verse for today. Our verses for today come from Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30. I'm going to read those and then jump in. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was Your gracious will. All things have been handed over to Me by My Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal. Just quickly, I'm not going to cover that a lot, but what He's saying there in and, and just the basic idea is happening as Jesus keeps having conflicts with the Pharisees. And He's re- speaking into this idea that people are not receiving what God has for their life because they are trying to be in control of their own life. 
like the Pharisees being these people who are so religious and they're doing all of the right things, but they are not receiving the good news of the Gospel because they want to be in control and they don't want to trust that, they, that God is in control of all things. Verse 28, into that he says, Come to Me, all who, are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden. Does anyone here feel weary is another way to translate that? Does anyone feel labored and heavy laden? He's also talking about the, the weariness of doing. The weariness of, of soul restlessness. Of feeling like I have to prove myself. Feeling like I have to do more. To sh- that there's this restlessness in our souls. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's the image of an oxen plowing the fields. He's saying, I want to find a yoke that fits you. He says, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So three, I want to look at three things about this passage. I can't cover it all. But the first thing that Jesus says is being weary and restless is a normal part of the human condition. So if you feel weary and you feel restless, just know you're not alone. That is just the way it is. At some level, that will probably be the way it is till we get to heaven. There's Being weary and restless is a product of life. And it is a product of life in part because of like we look at the story of God because of the fall. We were made for God. We were made to live in His space. We've rebelled from Him. The world is broken. We don't, we don't have a perfect relationship with God and we do not live in a perfect world. Weariness and restlessness is normal. Three reasons why I want to talk. Because I, I, could just, I think all of us could admit, I don't think anybody here would say, I'm not weary. I'm not restless. I'm fine. So we could just say, oh, we move on, Will, to the next part. But I want to diagnose our restlessness a bit because we can't really talk about the cure to our restlessness if we get in, until we get in touch with why I'm tired. Like, why am I tired? I think there's three things going on here for why we are all struggle with tiredness, with being weary. Um, the first thing, it's that restlessness is just the normal human response to a broken world. Restlessness is a normal response. So, I, I mean, again, I don't want anybody to feel guilty for feeling restless. And by the way, there's nothing we're going to do as a church. We could, we could study rest for the rest of our lives. In this fallen world, you will never be perfectly rested, okay? So sometimes we can idealize these kind of things. We will never be perfectly rested until we go to heaven to be with Jesus Christ. Because we live in a broken world, because my relationship with God will not be perfect until that day. Restlessness is a normal human thing. And part of that is because as humans, we have, are filled with an, an infinite amount of desire, old theologians would say. Humans have an infinite amount of desire. Just think of how much you want. One theologian, I'm paraphrasing him, but Aquinas basically said, how much do, what would it take to satisfy all, satisfy human desire? And he said, Everything. Everything. You want everything this world has to offer you. 
You, want, you don't just want to go on vacation. You want to go to every good spot on the entire planet. Right? Because if you went to 20 of the best places on earth, guess which you'd want to find next? The 21st place. Right? You want relationships, but you don't want just, you want lots of good relationships. Right? You want, and you want people to know you and experience you, and you want to be able to share your story with people. You want, you want to do, you know, you want to experience all that life has to offer, basically. We have desire. Desire motivates us every single day. But because we live in this broken world, our desires are quite are never quite satisfied. So there's a restlessness in us, right? There's this weariness that every day you have desires that go unmet. You have needs that go unmet. Or or things that you think are needs that might not be needs, but who, but in the end, you feel a sense of dissatisfaction probably every day, right? And we don't always know what to do with that. It makes us restless. It makes us. It drives us to do more, which in turn makes us feel more restless and more weary, right? And when we look at the story of God, the problem is that we were made to be satisfied not by the things of the world, but by, by being in perfect relationship with God in His untarnished creation, right? Adam and Eve were rested when they were in a perfect creation, walking in the cool of the day with their Father in heaven. So that means that no matter what you do, if you're, especially if you're trying to find rest in the things of this world, you will especially always be restless. Because we have an infinite amount of desire, like C.S. Lewis would say, because we are made for an infinite God. We are made to connect with Him. Like, so it will never be dissatisfied in this life. There is all kinds of desires in your life. And so the story of God, the Scriptures, Jesus is calling us to say, look, all of, every human being has to do something with that restlessness. And every religion, by the way, has some answer to that. Every philosophy of life has some answer to that. Our culture has an answer to that. And it's usually do more, buy more, get more. But you have Buddhism, which is there. They would say like the answer to that is to learn how to, to not desire anymore. right? And Jesus is saying the answer is to learn that your desires are going to see can only be fulfilled by God. So you have to learn how to bring the desire to God, let Him fulfill you, and be okay with, with what He gives you. Because it, will, because it doesn't mean every single one of my desires will always be fulfilled. Sometimes God says, no, that one's not going to be fulfilled right now. But I will be most satisfied when I am satisfied in Him. And I surrender to Him. And I don't let my desire become the most important thing in my life. Our culture says your desires are the most important thing. Everything should be subservient to your desire. The Bible says no, everything should become, start with worship, and my desire should come in relationship with Him. Let Him satisfy me and trust Him with what is, in la- what is still lacking. That He will satisfy it someday in this life or the next. So we all, to be human is to be weary and restless because we're filled with so many desires and they are never perfectly fulfilled in this life. The second reason why being weary and restless is a human condition is because our culture, it's all exasperated by our culture. Our culture drives us. It it drives, I think, more than any culture in human existence, that idea to have desire. it, It brings your desires out to the max. I don't think a hundred years ago people wanted as much from life as we do. 
right? They, they just didn't know to want as much. They didn't know there was a million places to visit on this planet 500 years ago that were awesome, right? They didn't have airplanes to go do that. They lived their life in a very small sphere, right? There was no advertisement throwing them. But, you know, they, they, say, they say that the average human probably get, in America probably gets 400 advertisements a day. And what, there's a billion-dollar marketing industry, and what are they trying to do? Get you to want more and to get it and to work for it, right? They say that even counting for inflation compared to about, I think it was the 1960s, that we buy twice as much stuff now. Twice as much. We want more. We are trying to get more. It is making us weary and restless. Always, always being told you have to get another car. You have to get the next iPhone. You have to get the next this or the next that. You have to go not just buy something, but you have to go experience this. You need another vacation. You need to watch another Netflix series. You need whatever it is. It's, it's constantly throwing at us. You need more because, and stirring, stoking that fire that you are restless and so you need this. And then you will be at rest. But then the sad truth is we know that more of what never satisfied us in the first place isn't going to satisfy us if we get more of it. And so our culture is leading us to be restless, pushing us. Technology has made it even worse because technology always gives us something to do. Always something to distract us. Always something to draw us into that doesn't actually make us feel rested. There's a disease called hurry sickness now. where It's this idea that you can never slow down and never stop. I, you see it in yourself when it's like you can't even go to the bathroom without looking at your phone. <laughs> Sorry, to, I'm not watching you go to the bathroom, I promise. <laughs> like, but you know what I mean? Like you can't sit in a doctor's office without being on your phone. Like you can't sit, people, human beings are having trouble sitting at a dinner table around other human beings without going on their phone, right? Technology is driving us to this constant, I have to be stimulated. I have to get what scientists would call a dopamine hit constantly. Right? Or, I will, or I, it's killing us. A.J. Soboda, who's a pastor in Portland, he wrote this book called uh, Subversive Sabbath. And he says, our time-saving devices, technological conveniences, and cheap mobility meaning like we can go anywhere rather cheaply now compared to the past, have seemingly made life much easier and interconnected. As a result, we have more information at our fingertips than anyone in history, yet with all this progress, we are ominously dissatisfied and bowing at these sacred altars of hyperactivity, progress, and technological compulsivity. Our souls increasingly pant for meaning and value and truth as they wither away, exhausted, frazzled, displeased, ever on edge. The result is a hollow culture that in Paul's words is ever learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Our bodies wear ragged, our spirits thirst. We have inability to simply sit still and be as we drown ourselves in a 24 living, 
we seem to be able to do anything but quench our true thirst for the life of God. We have perhaps become the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished people in history. Wow. Amen to that. And a sad amen at that. Does that not feel like it's true? And what, what, what Pew Research did some research on this very concept and they concluded at the end of their article, they said, they said that we need a societal reset. That this is not an individual problem. This is a society problem. And unless our society resets itself, we will, it, will never, it will never change. You think about this as we are the Jesus alternative community for society. If there's a reset, we have this opportunity to be that reset button as a church, which would then be a foretaste to our whole community that there is a space in which people are not exhausted. That would be good news to the community, wouldn't it? To know people, to know a community that you could join it and you could be a part of it and you would not, it would not exhaust you. They would not be constantly asking you to do more, more, more and telling you that you're not good enough unless you do more and more. As a church, as a community, I'm, I'm saying this because I don't know how to do this either. <laughs> we need to learn how to rest. And then ultimately what this is all pointing to is that the third thing, so we, we, don't, we are restless because it's a human disposition in a broken world is to be restless, which is exasperated by a culture that taps into that to get you to do more and try to be more, and try to be your own God and try to satisfy you with the things of this world. It just exasperates the very problem instead of offering a real solution. Which leads to our third observation that what Jesus is saying is that really ultimately this weariness and this restlessness is about our souls, not just our bodies. That the deepest kind of rest you need is not more sleep or more leisure or a more absence of work. Work is good. He, notice the passage, and I'm not going to even get into it today. He's talking about rest and work in the same breath. Just take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and light. He's not saying what you need is less work. Now, maybe I, we need to learn how to do, we need to learn how to, have to, like, we need to do less work. I could say, say that. If you're just constantly working, of course, you need to learn how to stop working. But he's saying, even if you stopped working right now and had no job and no responsibilities, there's a deeper thing at play. You would still be restless. And you see this in people who have a lot of upward mobility and, and have a lot of free time. And because of their upward mobility, they're not necessarily any more rested than the rest of us who have to work a full-time job or more, right? There's a deeper rest that we need that Jesus is talking about. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to religious people. This is all in the midst of a conversation about the emptiness of religion to satisfy our souls. Because the weariness of our souls, is it, it, flows, it flows out of our souls, not it doesn't, it doesn't like, I think we think of weariness as coming into our soul from our being so active in the world, but it's more a matter of that my soul is weary and so much of my activity is, is done out of that weariness to try to solve an internal problem. That I need soul rest. 
Think of it as like spiritual deep sleep. They talk about sleep, right? And there's two kinds of sleep. There's two, two things you need to get a good night's rest. You need, you need a length of sleep, right? So you need to sleep, they say, on average for eight hours. But sleeping for eight hours isn't necessarily enough. For, not because you didn't get enough sleep lengthwise, but because you didn't get deep enough sleep, right? This is why if they say don't go to bed having had a couple drinks, or, or a lot of medications. Doesn't necessarily, you could sleep eight hours, but if you're on a certain kinds of medication or, you, or you're a little bit buzzed, it might help you go to sleep and sleep for eight or ten hours, but you might not actually get rested. Why? Because you need another kind of sleep too. And that's, you need deep sleep. You need what they call rapid eye movement sleep. You need to get into the deepest level of sleep where you dream and have a certain kind of reparative work that happens inside of your brain and our souls are like that. Like the ceasing from activity, which is part of the scriptures, is part of your rest. To have spaces where you cease from being active. But, but that alone isn't enough because there's a, a soul rest you need. Think about so much of our activity and so much of even the reason why we don't get deep sleep. I'm experiencing this last two years. Waking up in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep. I'm, I'm there, I'm ready to sleep, I feel tired, but I can't go back to sleep at 4 o'clock in the morning at probably twice a week. Why? Because my soul just instantly starts working and solving problems and, and trying to plan the day out. I just There's a, a rest that's not happening in my soul. That can only happen in my relationship with God. The only solution is something and the nature of God, and, and learning how to actually rest in what He's provided for us in Jesus Christ. To recognize that He's God, and that He's in control, and that I don't have to be the Savior of my life. To recognize that, that I don't have to prove that I'm a good person. These kind of soul-level things. So much of our activity, is think about it, is, is working to prove that I am good, and that I can control my life, and that I'm very needed and I need to prove how needed I am by everybody around me by doing more. I can't, if I stop working, everything in my life is going to fall apart. Those kind of activities. A soul activity. Restlessness that I have to prove that I'm good enough. Think about this idea of good enough. You all have a different version of it. For moms, it is most likely one of the driving factors of your life talking to moms. Being not, I'm not a mom, obviously, but I am married to one. And uh, to, to prove that you're a good mom, right? There's so much pressure in this world to show that you're a good mom because the standard of momness is impossible to reach. The, whole, the world tells you everything you could possibly do to screw up your kids. And then if you do one of those things, even accidentally, they will judge you viciously. Right? Like you let your kids watch TV. You're a horrible mom, right? You, whatever, gave him melatonin, you're screwed up. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that long ago, I'm hearing all kinds of moms and they give them a lot more melatonin to get the kids to go to sleep and they didn't even seem to feel guilty about it. I'm not saying that's a good idea. I'm just saying like something has shifted and mom, t- <laughs> and mom today, there's a whole lot of pressure to be to be mom. And dads feel it in a different way too, right? 
And you have to work so hard to be that good mom. And it wakes you up at night sometimes maybe. Or it makes it you can't fall asleep. Or it keeps you so busy that you take no time to rest. And there's this some, sometimes it can come for all of us in a sense that if I stop working, then everything will fall apart. Or I have to prove that I'm so needed. That's me. I have to prove, I have to prove that I, I have to earn my keep in this world or something like that. Constantly proving my worth to everyone around me. That I am indispensable. We'll never rest until you realize that you are not indispensable. Because I am what? I am finite. Human being, the only person in this whole world that's indispensable is Jesus Christ. I am not indispensable. God wants to use me. My family does need me in a certain sense, but I am not indispensable to them. And most of the time, people aren't even asking you to be indispensable, including your bosses at work probably. They're asking you to do what God has given you the strength to do. And we'll do it a lot better if we stop trying to do more than that and learn how to rest in Him. God wants us to find that rest. So how do we find that? I've spent almost all my time just diagnosing the problem. (laughs) Maybe this is just a chance for us to recognize our need for rest and to start looking looking together as a community. How are we going to get rest this year? Jesus offers us the good news in all of this is that jesus offers us rest he says come to me all who are labor labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light i love the way eugene peterson paraphrases this passage he says Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is the invitation of Jesus Christ. That is the invitation of Christianity, of the church, that we would be the people who recognize I need rest. And there is only one person on all the earth that offers that rest and it is Jesus Christ. I will not be rested until I am yoked to Him. And the world around us, I say that, and they say, well, that sounds so exclusive. I can't accept it. But could we be the people who graciously say, I'm learning the unforced rhythm of grace. I don't have to force anyone to follow it. I'm just going to walk in it. And I'm guessing that by the Spirit of God, people will be drawn drawn into it. That's a terrible word. They'll be (laughs) attracted to Jesus. Because the ultimate truth is that there is that we people are feeling the fact that there is rest nowhere else. They are hungry to find a place to find rest. They are open to hearing about options for rest. And I want to be the one that actually finds it. I feel like I've lived most of my Christian life thinking that only weak Christians 
focus on getting rested. I really, I really have. I somehow inherited this idea that to take a Sabbath rest is for the weak Christians. That they, one pastor friend told me, he said, he said uh, of all the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, by the way, is one of the Ten Commandments, which is a day of rest. He says, you break nine of the Ten Commandments and, you're, and you'll be fired as a pastor, but if you break the Sabbath commandment, you'll get a raise. That's the world we live in. That we're, we're, we're trying, I, I was talking to someone about taking a day off, a pastor friend, and she talked about how her husband didn't have time to rest because he owned a business and he was overworked. And so we as pastors have to work just as hard as he does to be a good example. And I really believe that in my soul, that's set in my soul, that I always have to work as hard as the person in my church who is working the hardest, where I'm being a bad example. Instead of trusting what the Scriptures actually say, that, to be, that, that doing that is being a bad example, and yes, some people work jobs that are crazy or in seasons that are crazy, but is not my job as a pastor to demonstrate the fact that God has said we need rest? And I haven't believed that for most of my life. That I felt like I have to always work harder, do more, to to try to live my life saying that I did the most I possibly could for Jesus instead of trusting that God has a place for me to be rested and that is the only place for me to, to serve Jesus is out of rest. That I will never become the loving person that God wants me to be unless I, I learn how to be rested. Think about that. How, I mean, it's not the human job description at its core is to love people. And we cannot do that if we were tired. And weary, and Jesus says, "Come to me, and you will find rest." So, how do we do that? I have to just be brief here and say, I want you to find this week. I want to give you that assignment that God wants you to find a way to find rest this week. And the scriptures, the way God talks about it primarily, is by that thing I mentioned, that Hebrew word, the Sabbath, to find Sabbath rest, which isn't a rule or a law anymore in Jesus. So, let's be very clear about this. It is not some kind of thing that you have to do. I'm going to give you some suggestions in a second here. These are not laws. This is not a to-do list. Some of you who are to-do list people, you need to like erase that idea from your head. If you make it a to-do list, you will not find rest. You will like take on a new law that will make you feel unrested at the end of it. But, but I am saying that we have to look, take intentionality to say becoming rested will actually take some work and it will have to be a practice. And it will, mean, it will mean experimenting with things. It will not just happen by saying, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a day off and just do whatever I want. That will not make you feel more rested, most likely. That will, that, that, there, there's, a, there's a depth of rest that Jesus wants you to walk into. All throughout the Scriptures, it was talked about as a Sabbath rest. One of the most, the biggest commands in the Scripture was the Sabbath. It was one of the most talked about commands in the Scripture. And it's one of the most talked about themes actually in Jesus' ministry. Most of His teaching actually took place around Sabbath or talking about Sabbath. And most often it was a controversy He had with the religious leaders about the Sabbath. It's a huge thing. The word just means to stop working. <laughs> and it was so important to God that He rested on the seventh day, right? It was so important to God that 
when He gave manna, when He gave food to the people in Israel in the desert, He didn't give food to them on the seventh day. He gave extra food on the sixth day. Why? So they would stop gathering manna on the seventh day. And they would stop the idea of being a day to stop working so hard. And God wants us to have that kind of uncluttered space. Eugene Peterson defines Sabbath as this. He says, Sabbath is uncluttered time and space to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities so we can see what God was and is doing. If we don't regularly quit work one day a week, we take ourselves far too seriously. The moral sweat pouring off our brows blinds us to the primal action of God in and around us. God wants you this week. And when we do take Sabbath rest, what's so beautiful is that it takes us, the idea of finding rest, and I'm not talking about taking necessarily a whole day off or any of these things. This is something we're going to have to work into. You're going to have to work into. As a community, maybe it's something I think we probably should take time to talk about and learn into our rhythms of our life together. The idea being that it will help you learn how to live a Sabbath rest throughout every day of your life. To learn how to do your activity from a rested space. But, all throughout Jewish and Christian history, virtually every single person who has learned how to walk with Jesus has said, you need to learn how to take time off intentionally to connect with God. Here's 12 things. Again, this is not a to-do list. These are 12 practices to consider. And I've, linked, I've made a link online and I'll, I'll send an email out to this to learn more about taking a Sabbath, but I encourage you this week to think, I'll encourage you to think, I'm going to take a half-day Sabbath with my family. I'm going to plan it out ahead of time so that we do some things intentionally to actually rest and trust in God. Here's 12 common things. This is listed that was talked about in both Jewish and Christian history tradition. Many of these are, and some of these are talked about in the Scriptures when it comes to the Sabbath. So this was a normal part of Sabbath. I'm sorry, I can't see it very well. But it was very common in Jewish tradition to light candles. It's very common to actually light a candle at the start of your Sabbath to signify to the whole family that this is Sabbath time. And so you will light a candle in the, on your kitchen table and you will say a prayer of blessing over your whole family and over your kids and saying this is a sacred time, of a solemn time of rest. You might read a scripture. There's Sabbath scriptures in the, in, that you can, you can look up in the resources that I gave you. You might read saying this is a sacred time for our family to take Sabbath together. You would pray a prayer of blessing. You would almost Sabbath was also a feast day. It was considered a feast day. I love that idea. It's con, so it's not a day to be on your keto diet, right? It's not a day to be a, it's not a day to be low carbing it up. It's a feast day, okay? Take a cheat day. <laughs> Maybe not, I don't know. Whatever a feast looks like for you. But it's a day of eating with your family, eating with your potentially eating with your friends, eating with your community, having having fun, doing what that looks like for you. It often involves singing as a it often has involved throughout church history, worshiping with your community. Both Jews and Christians have often picked for their Sabbath their day also their day of worship would include be in the Sabbath. So for Jews that was on Saturdays, for Christians that became Sunday. Sunday has been the most common day for Christians to practice Sabbath. By the way, it often starts, and I think this is a good way to do it, the night before, and then goes and then ends at that same time, corresponding time 24 hours later. 
Um, but again, these aren't rules. You can try whatever you want. Often is involved throughout history walking, like taking a walk. You know, taking a walk with your spouse, taking a walk with your family. It's, it was commanded in the Hebrew, um, like not in the Torah, but in their, in their writings, like kind of like their teachings, kind of like their church manual, to take a nap. <laughs> you, were, you were to take the, in Yiddish, it was the shluff, the Sabbath shluff. <laughs> it's time to go shluff off somewhere. <laughs> so, I, so it's a day to sleep in. It's a day to take a nap. It's the day to work that out with your spouse. If you have kids, all of these things will have to be worked out around kids and family and things like that. But it'd be like, honey, I need to take a nap today. And you can take a nap too. Let's work that stuff out. Let's put, you know, whatever we need to do. It's time, you know, it's good to take a nap. It was also commanded in uh, the uh, Hebrew teachings to have some intimate time with your spouse. And uh, so I think all the guys are in for this. This is good. <laughs> it's time for the Sabbath, honey. And uh, so, so, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's, so this has been a common practice. Again, these aren't rules, whatever. I'm not trying to command anything to anybody. Reading has been a common practice to, to spend time reading, reading the scriptures, spending time alone with God, spending time off with, with family and friends, which is probably very important if you're an extrovert or one of your people in your family is an extrovert. Um, and spending time being grateful for what you have, remembering the time of remembrance. I would encourage you this weekend, by the way, after worship today, Erin uh, has decided she wants to lead us in a little discussion time around this topic. So we're gonna. Act, so you get a chance even to talk more about this, and as a community, I think we will probably come back to this sometime early this year. And I'll, like I said, I'll send you more resources. I would encourage you to think this week. What what is it? What would it look like for you to take a day, take a half a day, take four hours, whatever it is? Again, this isn't a rule. What would it look like for you to take a time of rest this week, to connect with God, to connect with your human need to be rested? To take a nap, to connect with your spouse, to go on a date, to ha- you know, do what, to have a feast day. What I don't know what it is for you most important, but to think what is most important for me. If you're married, what is most important for my spouse? Talk about it. What is most important for my kids, for my family, for us to take some space this week to be rested. You have permission to do that. God commanded it. In the Old Testament, why? Because he want, he knew how much you need it. It's not a command today in that same kind of commandness. This isn't a rule rule for your life. It is an invitation to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do it this week, but he wants you to. And as a church, I, I want us to feel like everyone has that space to say, I need a break and I need to be rested. We're gonna pray, we're gonna worship now, our worship song to close or are centered around that idea of finding rest in God. I hope it's a time to sing and connect with Him to recognize that God wants you to be rested. And He wants us as a community to learn how to rest together. Dear guys, thank You, Lord. I thank You that there is a, that you, you see our souls. You see the weariness and the restlessness and the labor of our soul, God. You know what? So much deeper than we know it. For most of us, we probably don't even know why we're so tired. But you want us to find a space of rest and healing and refreshment in you, God, where we feel light, 
we feel the burden lift off our shoulders. We feel a sense of peace and joy and passion to pursue life because the burdens have been lifted. And our, our, our bodies and our souls and our minds feel rested. I pray, Lord God, You'd help us to learn how to connect in that this week. I pray You'd also deliver us from this idea that we have to have that perfectly. That somehow we have to figure that all out this week. Figure out our perfect Sabbath rest. Relift us from that burden of this ideal perfection of restlessness. The rest, rest that we might find. Help us to accept the fact that You want to teach us the unforth rhythms of grace. And someday we will come to find You and see You face to face. And we will walk perfectly in those rhythms. Help us to walk now in peace that tomorrow, next month, next year, five years from now, we will keep growing in these unforth rhythms of grace. Growing in restfulness. Growing in learning how to walk in a rhythm of life and peace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.